0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for leading us in worship, worship team. Um, okay, uh, Tasha's going to read the, the passage that we're going to be studying today in James 2, uh, verses 14 to 26.
1: Great, thank you. Faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him?
0: Amen. So we're going to try and structure this over um, a little bit of an alliteration. Uh, We've got three X's to get through. So the first is to examine your faith. The second is to expect good works. And then the third is the answer to every question is the example of Christ in this. So James opens this little section with uh, a couple of highly pointed and rhetorical questions. The first of which is... What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? The second, then, is can that faith save him? And actually, the wording of each question is quite important, Uh, and what good is it, at the beginning of that first question, actually, to begin with, implies a negative answer. So he's actually leading us to say, actually, it's no good. Also to mention that this word here, brothers, Adelphoi, um, is is a word which was used to address the whole church. It was men and women, although it's translated brothers in this translation, you might see it in the NIV as brothers and sisters, but it's a general term for all people, so what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. James now identifies that there are some who are saying one thing but doing another, and these people are claiming to have some sort of faith. But the, fo- the kind of faith that they're claiming to have is a, what is that question in this passage. And we see this in the follow-up question. Can that faith save him? So clearly we're examining a type of faith here which is nominal. And what I mean by nominal is in name only. So it's called a faith, uh, but not a true saving faith. And we could paraphrase James here to say... You have faith, to say you have faith but not works is of no benefit to anyone. That kind of faith can't save anyone. And so the NIV says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them?
1: So to illustrate his point, James draws upon a hypothetical situation of a brother or sister who lacks clothing and food. The reason we mention the word Adelphoi in verse 1 is that James changes his usual convention and instead describes a brother or a sister. The change in wording here that is unfortunately not picked up in the NIV shows that this example is specifically saying that it does not matter whether it is a man or a woman who is in need. They are both as equally needy. So we have this needy person and now enter the Christian, James, by saying, one of you says to them, he puts the reader in this picture and he's writing to the church. You must assume that James intends for us to put ourselves in this situation. And then we're hit both astutely and subtly with the challenge. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. At first glance, this seems like a pretty nice and kind thing to say to someone, right? Right? We might even begin to feel a little self-righteous about plucking up the courage to engage this person at all. But James retorts, what good is that? The same rhetorical question from verse 1, implying a negative answer. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things necessary and needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself If it does not have works, is dead. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Um, What's the spiritual state of our faith? For a moment, maybe we can try and imagine an elderly neighbor that lives alone and may go days without speaking to somebody. Or a single parent in your street that struggles to find or afford childcare whilst they work to support their family. Or maybe a friend without a car who needs to get to a hospital appointment. Or someone who has lost somebody and is grieving. Maybe a friend at school or college who's picked on. Or someone in your workplace who others don't talk to and they exclude. So there are examples of brothers and sisters in need everywhere we look. Sometimes all we need to do is open our eyes and see them. And then do something to help them. What good is blessing and well-wishing when we have the time and the resources to help? The type of faith that does not feel the responsibility to help is the type of faith in question in this passage, and it's dead.
0: So thinking about, you know, having um, examined our faith and what that looks like, we now need to be expecting good works. Now, with all this quite strong language um, and a hard challenge, understandably, there might be some people who are feeling a bit uncomfortable about that. And that's only natural. And whilst we were studying this passage, it made us feel uncomfortable. But um, that's just the Holy Spirit touching your heart with that truth and convicting you. And if it makes you feel any better, there were clearly people in James's time who felt like this as well. Um, he anticipates a comeback from his readers. And this particular example is probably taken from a position that James knew fully well existed in the church that he was writing to. So instead of responding to those individuals and nitpicking, he allows us to put ourselves into the place of an imaginary debater. So verse 18 says, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And you and I here don't refer to anyone in particular, But what the respondent is saying in essence is that faith and works are just both gifts and we will see them more in some and less in others. And actually to that reasoning we might say, fair enough. But James reproves this approach with another challenge. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. It's like you're in a courtroom accused of fraud or something similar and your only defense was... I didn't do it. <laughs> Actually, there's nothing to show at all. This is to what James is likening this statement, you have faith, I have works. He proposes that one who stands up in the courtroom with records of all their fair transactions, their declarations of income and tax, letters from lenders, bill payers on time, and in full, with all of these works, we wouldn't even need to say, I didn't do it, the works speak for themselves. Now, works in themselves don't merit innocence. Um, And if we go back to our own spiritual states, works don't merit our salvation. We're on a bit of a theme here, Jeff, aren't we, about meritocracy on your preach this morning. But they are evidence of our faith, and we are justified by that evidence. Works are not added. They are a demonstration of a saving, living faith. The verb have in verse 18, referring to these works, it's actually echo, and we have the same word. So like if you are standing over a deep gorge and you shout down in, and you hear your voice reflected back at you, it sounds as if that voice is coming from somewhere else. But it's not. It's just your own voice being reflected back at you. And this is what it's like. Works are a reflection of the source of the works, our true, saving, living, and visible faith. Important to note that James's equation of salvation is not faith plus works equals salvation, but rather faith equals salvation and works. Faith is the root, works are the fruit. Faith is either dead or alive. And we've got a little demonstration, a little kind of example to give you here with a couple of things we've brought from home.
1: So this is an avocado plant, there's a little avocado seed. I don't know whether you can see, but it's got really amazing roots at the bottom, and then you can see the seed, and then the plant at the top, which is not necessarily that spectacular, but you can see (laughs) that it's gonna get bigger. (laughs) And here we have some daffodils. They have no root, and they have no seed at the bottom, but they look quite nice at the top.
0: So kind of what we're trying to get at here is that in this example, you have the seed with your faith, and you can see the root which has taken hold, and you can see that there is life in there. And actually, if you'd have seen this just a couple of months ago, this has grown five or six inches in those, in those couple of months, and so you can see physically that there is growth happening with the root and the seed and the growth coming out. But actually, these, these daffodils, they look lovely, but actually, you can start to see already. Given a few days, a week maybe, they will die they will be dead because there is no root underneath. You take them out, there's no root. And so people might say good things and it may look like they're living a really good life, but actually it looks good, but actually these, much like some people's faith, is dead.
1: John 15, 5 to 8 says, (laughs) I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him 22 to 23, they describe the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can see that all of these are actions or ways in which you do something. Galatians 5 and 6, for in Christ Jesus, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. How do I know that I have an active, saving faith? When I stand at judgment with all the things I've ever done on the table, will my faith be justified? How do I know that, like in the parable of the sower, I am good soil, not rocky ground where the word takes root but quickly dies after? or thorny ground, where the troubles of the world strangle my faith. I know because the position of my, of my heart. Can I do anything else but serve God in my actions? Faith working through love, and love is laying oneself down for others. 1 John 4, 10 to 12. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the proper Propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Finally, we don't want to label this point too much more, but Martin Luther, in a commentary of Romans, wrote, It's a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done. But before the question is asked, it's already done this, and it's consistently doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, knows neither what faith is, nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works.
0: Okay, so... James continues his response to this debater by leveling with his Jewish audience at the time. You believe God is one, and you do well. So James is saying, great, you're on the right track, but do you realize that even the demons believe that God is one and shudder at that truth? The affirmation alone of God is one without anything else is purely intellectual, and even the agents of Satan have the same belief. We could translate that even as, even the demons have faith in that truth. Now clearly demons don't have a saving faith, but even they shudder in fear and trembling at the truth that God is one. And that seems like a pretty rational response to me, but the demons cannot just add works to their dead faith, they need a completely different kind of faith, and so do we. If you have any doubt in your salvation, If you don't know you're going to heaven, I suggest that an examination of your faith is the first place to start. Is your faith in your head, or is it in your heart? And I'm not saying for a moment that your faith is not in your head. Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But it needs to be in your head and your heart simultaneously. Now, we're given two historical pieces of evidence for this argument, the first of which is Abraham. The father of the Jewish nation, and Rahab, herself a uh, a heroine of the faith and cited as an ancestor of King David, and so then Jesus, no less. So interesting again that James would use a male and a female example uh, to push his point again that this message is not just for the leading men of the time or the cultural leaders, but for all people, men and women, young and old. Verse 21 to 23. Says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham lived about 450 years before Moses gave the law to the Israelites. He didn't have the law. He didn't have the prophets to tell him how to live and how to live a good life. But Abraham conversed with God in a way that we can only really uh, imagine. Um, But God made promises to Abraham and he kept them. And so Abraham's faith was one of trust and faithfulness in God's word. And this isn't actually too dissimilar to our faith now we've got a lot more of God's word through revelation of the Bible and a lot more promises, again, through the Bible that are still relevant to us these days. So Abraham trusted God. God had promised him a son, and that was given. God promised his descendants would be as the stars of the heaven and the sands that is on the seashore from Genesis 22. Now, of course, Abraham would never physically see... this particular promise fulfilled but when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only natural son as an offering Abraham in his trust and his faith acted upon God's word he knew that God's promise would be fulfilled so if God was asking him to burn his one and only son as a sacrifice that either Isaac would not die or else God would bring him back to life You see, Abraham did not just believe in his mind that God would keep his promises, he acted like he would. His faith was living, active, and visible. Now three words speak about the actions surrounding Abraham's situation. So verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his words. His faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We have active, completed and fulfilled. Now if we look at the Greek word here for active in that sentence we come up with synegeo which is where we get our English word synergy from. Things working together well. And in Romans 8 we see this again in we know that All things work together, sonageo, for good, for those called according to his purpose. And again, in 2 Corinthians 6, as God's co-workers, sonageo, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So we read faith was active, but we could just as easily say that faith was working with or co-laboring with works. And in Matthew 11, we talk about this yoke this um, this metaphor of wooden collars that would go over the top over the back of two um, animals, two uh, cows, to pull a plough through the earth. Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Jesus is calling us to work. Our faith in Jesus on one side of the yoke. us pulling on the other side, faith and works co-laboring together. Now, completed and fulfilled, they already, it implies that something has already started, sorry, so it's just being completed or being fulfilled at the end. So, These are not things that add on to Abraham's faith. They are inside. They are implicit to Abraham's faith. Abraham could do nothing else except serve God in his actions. So here again, we have works not being added to faith, but actually intertwined, sunnigeo, with faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10 says, "'For by grace you have been saved through faith, "'and this is not of your own doing. "'It is the gift of God.' Not as a result of works, that is, you're not saved by your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
1: So, just chatting about Rahab. We don't know a huge deal about Rahab, other than her heroine of faith status in Hebrews, her lineage that reached David and Jesus, She is identified as a prostitute in Joshua 2, and it seems a little unfair given her other credentials that she's always referred to as such. Rahab had seen what God was doing for the nation of Israel in the Promised Land, and as they approached Jericho to capture it as the city for God, they sent spies to scope out the city. The spies, to stay inconspicuous, stayed at the house of Rahab, the prostitute, but the king of Jericho found out and raided the house. Rahab had hidden the spies and allowed them a safe escape from the city as her house was built into the wall. Rahab said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when he came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan To Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. It's in Joshua 2 9 to 11. So Rahab had the knowledge of God and believed him, God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. But just like the demons, mere knowledge and fear is meaningless. But Rahab decided to act. She hid the spies and helped them escape with the faith that God would spare her in the battle to come, which he did. Her works co-labored with her faith. Compare this maybe to a situation we might find today. There might be a person who becomes a Christian and tremendous changes happen. An addiction is broken or a deep anger is washed away and replaced with a peace and calm. Or perhaps it's someone who used to be a compulsive liar starts to tell the truth, even if it doesn't benefit them. Of course, friends of this person will see the change in their friend who will be accrediting it to God. So a friend who sees this real working of a true, deep, saving faith that is alive and active, they have a choice. Do I discredit God and come up with some other half-hearted explanation of why this immense change has occurred? Or do I believe what is happening is truly God? Rahab chose the second and acted upon it. Now you could apply this just as easily to something that you read in the Bible or something that the Holy Spirit convicts deep inside you and you have a choice to make. Do I ignore it and keep going just as I think is best or do I listen, repent and act and which demonstrates a real living faith to you?
0: So finally, we have the example of Christ in all of this. And Jesus left no room in his teaching for an unrepentant faith or saved non-disciples. We cannot be saved without a repentance and a change in our hearts to a position of being unable to do anything else except serve God. Matthew 16:24 to 26, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And it may be tempting when we read passages like this about the poor, the needy, and the hungry to think of those well-publicized worldwide crises or disasters, poverty, the conflict in Ukraine, the third world, bushfires, earthquakes, hurricanes. And if you are in a position to help in those things, then great, and you know we are blessed into a community of being a wealthy nation and wealthy people. But if that's the first thing that you think of when you hear the word need, you might need to readjust your radar slightly. The epicenter of your impact and your responsibility is right here in Plymouth or wherever you live. There is enough need on your doorstep to keep you busy a lifetime. And even Jesus didn't leave Israel during his ministry. He had the ultimate truth and revelation, the greatest truth in history, but he remained in one locality because he knew the truth would radiate outwards He knew that his actions and his truth would set an example to others. Um, Sorry, I just lost my place. And that example would spread throughout the world. We can expect the same. If we demonstrate our true living faith, it will spread. And imagine you're helping that elderly man down the streets and you do things, kind things for him. People will notice. Their family... His family, who lives the other side of Plymouth, will suddenly realize why are these people doing nice things for my dad or whoever that is? And they might, you know, dwell on it, think about it. And there's something extremely attractive and contagious about good works, and actually very intriguing about good works that seemingly are done for absolutely no reason. But what an impact we could have on our community in the name of Jesus Christ that our faces would glow and radiate his love, and people would see that our faith is not just something we talk about on a Sunday, but it is living, it is active, and it is working in our lives.
1: Jesus did not boast about his deity. Rather, he showed it through his works on earth. He went as far as to charge those he healed to keep their miracle a secret. He healed a leper in Matthew 7, but said, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest. And two blind men had their eyes opened in Matthew 9, and Jesus says, see that no one knows about it. Jesus was particularly coy with the Pharisees who were demanding signs and wonders as evidence of his authority, but their hearts were hard and disbelieving. They wanted works and faith, not content with Jesus' numerous works of faith. Works are not a substitute for faith as much as they are evidence of it. When asked for a sign, Jesus said in Luke 11, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The queen of the south came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In the same way, we don't do works to gain salvation or prove anything after the fact. They should already be evident, just as Jesus has demonstrated his power and authority countless times before being asked yet for another sign. Let's get past the Pharisaic go in peace, be warmed and filled attitude. And let's be the good Samaritan who actively helps a stranger because he happens to pass by. Let's be a Rahab who sees and knows the might and power of God so takes action in faith. Let us be peacemakers. Let us be merciful. Let our faith be action, not just words. Let us show our faith by our works.
0: Amen. Thank you. So we have examine your faith. We have expect good works. And we have the example of Christ. And ultimately, of course, Jesus did the ultimate work and he laid himself down for us knowingly. Um, I'm going to invite the va- the band back up uh, and we're going to sing a final song. Um, I'll pray for us just as they are coming up. Um, we've picked this song because it, it just kind of Helps to pick on some of those words, and so as we're singing the song, let, just let those words wash over you. Help them to sink. I pray that this kind of uh, this word would etch itself on your heart. Um, so let me just pray as people are as people are getting ready. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your works, um, and may we now. Reflect your good works in us. Lord, we are nothing by ourselves. We are only merely reflections of you. And as we become Christians, as we let your spirit enter our hearts and in our life, as that faith takes root and takes root deeply, may we see that growth come out of people's lives. May we go to that nth degree to help our neighbor see those people who are on our doorstep Be that person who makes a difference in your community and people start thinking about it. Lord, we pray that we would have faith which is alive, active, working and people would see it because it's visible and where we have a faith which feels a little bit dormant at the moment, we just ask your spirit to touch our hearts again, give us a little bit of a rejuvenation. This word perhaps just allow that to sink in to us to come to an understanding that if we're not doing anything, what is the state of my spiritual life? So Lord, we pray in your name, Jesus. In in your name, amen.